And welcome, everybody, to Live at the Hive Digital Marketing from the Trenches. I'm your host, Dan Nadelko. And on this episode of the Live, we have got Kim Tarlow and Josh Alvernia uh, from, respectively, Mint and Clue Digital as well. Today, we're going to be talking about the process of rebranding from philosophy right down to real-world uh, experiences that both... Uh, Josh and Kim have gone through on this process. So I'd like to hand it over to uh, Kim and to Josh to introduce themselves and kick off the topic for today. Um, hi, I'm Josh. Uh, my company is called Clue. We are a data and media partner across search and social and programmatic advertising. And the goal of my company is to help marketers interpret and transform their data into business growth, especially through expertly managed media campaigns. So the wonderful people I work with are media strategists and traders and developers and data analysts and engineers. Um, and our whole goal is to right size data and advertising technology so that we can solve the unique challenges that our customers have. Kim? Hello, I am Kim Tarlow. I am the Executive Creative Director and Partner at Mint, a creative agency based in Toronto. Um, there we work with brands like Josh um, to uh, take on different business challenges that they're facing depending on where their life cycle is. In this case, a, a, a rebrand challenge was put in front of us. And, but we do much more than that. We, we, worked with, um, we work with big companies who are trying to evolve to a new audience or launch new campaigns or products and so on. And, and so I head up a pretty dynamic creative department over at Mint, but very excited to be here talking with all of you uh, about Clue specifically and the rebrand we, uh, effort that we took part, with, part of. That's awesome, and and thanks for both of you being here. It's it's a it's a fairly rare occasion for us where we have both a, a marketing branding professional and then um, an expert in what is the very weedy world of of martech and advertising technology. So that's that that that's a very cool take on this. And um, I think one of the things that for the listeners today that we want to get uh, uh, across is, you know. The process and philosophy of branding has changed and evolved quite a bit over the years. Uh, and when you take it from this philosophical concept of, hey, what is a brand, which we're going to talk about, and, and dial that right into executing that rebranding and launching it to the world, which, by the way, congratulations to both of you. Uh, apparently, today is the day that, uh, that Clue Digital uh, did actually launch that rebrand. So congrats to both of you on that one. Thank you. Long time coming. <laughs> Excellent. So maybe we can just start it off with just what was the inspiration of this rebrand? Where did the idea uh, come from? Uh, and then, you know, Kim, how did you uh, get you know, worked into the team and how did you guys start working together? So I'll, I'll just hand it over there. Yeah, I can take the two first questions. Um, the reason why Clue decided to undergo a rebranding was was one, because um, our first branding was in our entire infancy. So it was, you know, the first couple of months of um, when the company launched and we needed to have a face to go to the market with. But the real reason why we rebranded 
is because since then our company has evolved a lot. The industry has changed a lot. And like any dynamic startup, we have changed to the industry where our services have expanded, our capabilities have expanded, our team grew from, you know, four founders to over 30 um, staff and teammates. Um, and in that, we, we needed a rebrand to properly account for all of that evolution and all of those changes. But even more so than that, which really was the true challenge to Kim and to Mint, is that in a place of great complexity, there also ends up being kind of a homogenation or uh, how we termed it in the rebrand, a, a sea of sameness. So how could Clue um, discuss what it does with crystal clarity, but also distinction and differentiation? So those were the two things that we wanted to accomplish so that our business could continue to expand into, into new territory um, and with success. And that's no small feat. <laughs> what you've just what you've just proposed there sounds really great. And and Kim, uh, how do you take those uh, objectives and and start that process and 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 bring it to light? Sure. Yeah, I think the the first step of any rebrand, especially with a company like Josh's, where you have uh, key stakeholders who are the founders and a part of it, is is really getting to know the the vision for the for the business and where it's it's meant to go and, and aiming to go, not just where it's been and uh, where the customers are today, but also where a few years from now, five, ten, we want to be because there's always um, a tension between creating a brand that thrives in the moment, but also can be timeless and, and last beyond. So step one is to have the conversation with Josh and his partners to really understand um, uh, what's going on with the business, where they need to go, where they've had some roadblocks, but also see the category through their eyes. So we do a lot of work in our strategy um, exploration too of looking at the category, but no one knows it better than often the clients that live and breathe it every single day. But then we go beyond that too of uh, beyond tech, what what are customers seeing um, outside of their category too. I often say to to clients that no longer are you just competing um, with your direct competitor as far as offering, you're competing with the internet. And so um, to stand out, you're, you, you might as well be competing with entertainment as well as um, news, as well as wherever anybody's seeking out information. And so it's really important for us to to get really close with the key stakeholders for a rebrand, but then also do our own outwardly facing uh, exploration to see see where we can find some white space to break through that sea of sameness. Um, and I think for, for Josh and the team, it was really, really clear right from the jump of where they wanted to be. And they had um, com complete uh, symmetry of uh, where they wanted to go, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes you will sit down with key stakeholders and often it's one-on-one -on -one to provoke the right kind of conversation to get to the right place and there'll be, um, Founder A wants one thing and founder B wants another thing. And, and then how do you come together to reconcile that? And that's also on the, the job of a great strategy uh, uh, professional to, to navigate those waters. Um, but in this case, I think that uh, Clue and, and all the good folks there were very aligned on where they wanted to go. And it really was this idea of humanizing data. And that sort of became the, the North Star mantra to all of the work that came out of it. And then all of the process went that way as well. Okay, that's really cool. If, if I can just uh, actually throw in a question that uh, we hadn't discussed before, just because I find this always very fascinating, especially when uh, you're dealing with founders, um, very deep knowledge, obviously very technical, given uh, what Clue is, is looking to achieve. Is there a challenge um, with knowing that you've got four founders with 
deep technical knowledge. They'll forget more in one day than most of us will ever know about what it is that they're talking about. How do you go from having that depth of knowledge? And, and I, I'll throw this out to both of you just as a, as a general question. When a founder has so much knowledge and a, a vision internally about where I want the company to be, and now you've got four, is it a challenge to simplify that message and to to clarify it so that the outside world can see the benefits? And, and how does that process work and look? Sure. Go ahead. You want me yeah. to or you can go? Uh, well, <laughs> well, one, I could say it, it wasn't a challenge knowing mm -hmm. that we needed to do it. It was a challenge accomplishing the task, but um, our customers had very, very clearly articulated to us that there was a need not just to differentiate, but also to simplify, mostly because they were tasking us with that. If there is so much constant change in the industry, the reason I would come to a service is to is to is to find some truth or to to reduce the complexity. So um, we all knew going into it that we were handing it, handing this task to Mint, and they were going to challenge us in simplifying it. And we had to, we had to give up um, some control in order to get the actual task done. I think that's what made Josh and the team um, not to kiss up here, but it was such a fantastic <laughs> client in this way is that there was, um, they entered into the process knowing we don't know everything here. We're going to get pushed. We're going to be shown things that we might not be expecting. And they were up for that. Um, but as you're, what you're describing is a challenge, um, certainly generally speaking with approaching a brand. And that's not just for, um, uh, founder operated companies. It's also the case of major corporations that have, um, leadership level. There's, it's, it's really interesting when you're working with people that live and breathe something, um, and then they're now working with people who may just be discovering the market for the very first time, but are tasked with positioning their brand within it. Um, there is tension often between the detail um, and also the, the almost the naivety that you come to the process because you don't know better, right? And so sometimes this forest from the trees is a moment where we have to push them to say, no, I understand that for you, this communication is so clear and easy. But for someone who's just stumbling on upon your brand for the first time, you're taking a lot for granted that they already understand and get. So we might need to pull it back. So I think that's, um, again, a good agency partner will, will help navigate that because our, our lens that we're looking through always is the end person that you're speaking to and the end human that you're mm -hmm. speaking to. And, and, and so we might, that person might not be as um, nuanced as you expect them to be because they're just discovering you for the first time. So that that's often our job. But like I said, Josh and team, I think came to the table that way. And they also spoke so closely with their customers that they were able to get inputs beyond just their founders, which I think is especially important to do if you're a founder group to get inputs outside of yourself because the the echo chamber is is so tight. Yeah, I um, I live very very much by a concept called validated learning, um, which is from a book called The Lean Startup, and it says that um, the perspective you have and the value that you believe you have isn't actually value until it's been validated itself by your customers. And so the first step was talking to the people that work with us the most and saying, am, am I clear in what I do? Um, 
do you know all of my services? Do you feel like Blue is easy to comprehend? If so, or if not, why? Um, and we had a huge list that we actually like came to the table with. And Mint was like, you know that we do this whole interview process ourselves. I'm like, yeah, do it again. Because we only got so deep. Um, and I think it was because of that step, instead of saying we know everything, to say we don't know what we don't know, but we need to find it out before we even start this whole making decisions process. It really did lead to a great end result that was founded in kind of like a, a humility, like a, a genuflecting to the market before you start to uh, self-promote yourself. Yeah, and that's and and that's an amazing um, uh, way to approach it. I mean, uh, Kim, is that something that you see quite often? Is this a unique uh, scenario? And and when you received all of that background that 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 your client partner had had brought to the table, um, what was your next step in that process? Sure. Um... I'd say it's atypical. I think to, more often than not, um, clients will rely on um, our strategy team to do a lot of the analytical digging, and that can be focus groups, key key interviews. It could be data. It could be all using some of the tools that we have to to see how you're being spoken about in the marketplace and so on. Um, there are clients who who do this themselves, and and sometimes it happens with with obviously Josh did it, but um, there's a lot of uh, large companies that we work with that have internal research departments or rely on places like Nielsen, et cetera. So it it can be a mixed bag. However, regardless, we 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 still go out and uh, farm our own data as well. And part of that is sometimes it takes a different point of view to ask a different question to get to a different mm -hmm. place. And, and so some of the times we'll see that again with clients, they're so in their space that they'll miss, they'll have blind spots to, to what an outside perspective can bring to it. So um, certainly with this was a part of that. So obviously Josh had done, done his diligence and our strategy team were like, awesome, so good, but um, we're going to do a bit more and, and dig in and ask and probe some more questions and, and, and go about it that way. The other thing is mint in particular, um, we we believe full heartedly in looking at culture and the community that we're operating in with with the work that we do and so um always regardless of um what's brought to the table we'll look towards what's happening in culture and and communities a group of people and how people are working and thinking about um technology and all that sort of stuff to to get work that feels um, appropriate within um the culture that we're trying to speak within yeah, that's uh, no, that's 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 great um, advice that you, you kind of took it to the next level and pulled it away and 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 recognize that. So from that starting point, it'd be really great to hear from both of you uh, what the process looks like. Obviously, this was a, a, a big project. A, a, sounds like it was a long project, but maybe just from the uh, you know broad brush strokes, starting from that point. What's the process and what does it look like? Could you walk us through that uh, from both of your perspectives? It'd be great. Uh, from my perspective, I just kind of sat in the flume and was taken along <laughs> the river for the ride um, and just did everything I could to keep my hands and arms inside the ride at all times. Uh, but Kim could actually probably speak to uh, all of the different uh, twists and turns that we took. Sure. Um, I think... And always keep in mind, I'm a, I'm a creative, so I <laughs> I often uh, lean there. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's all 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 that is the biggest piece of the pie. There's there's so much more that 
our, our, our friends in strategy do that um, they could speak even deeper to it. But um, I think the, the biggest piece is, is that uh, the first step is always discovery, um, uh, discovering what the true crux of the, the challenge that's being put to the agency and, and, and what needs to be considered in that challenge. And so um, that goes into very pragmatically like defining, <laughs> defining really what you want and the expectations of it and making sure we're all understanding truly um, the business problem. We really thrive ourselves on. Uh, being business partners to our clients, not just um, in and out. So for us, it, it makes it, it makes the work a lot better when we're we're really close right from the jump. And so that would have happened with with Josh as well, where we where we defined that. And then the next phase is really going into the strategy. So um, our very intelligent strategy strategic people at Mint would have um would have done uh, a kickoff with really like i said the key stakeholder interviews getting into a lot of the data that's going to infuse into a creative brief um, and the creative brief is what sets the tone for the entire rebrand so typically in a creative brief um, you've got the client's um, outline of their challenge their their product their brand what they do what they stand for etc and then you have um, some turf that we can bounce off of from a creative jumping point and often what goes into this turf let's say is um, category truth brand truth human truths um, etc to propel a proposition forward um, um, in this case really digging into that intersection of humanity and data um, that could then go into a, uh, the creative department to really start to define what goes into rebrand um, we talked uh, we've talked a lot about what a rebrand means and building a brand and what that means um, i think historically people believe it to be uh, creating a logo, choosing a master color, uh, maybe having a tagline and, and Bob's your uncle. Um, but because of so many reasons why the democratization of brands, the the openness of brands, the unlimited applications your brands need to be part of, we really look at building a brand as building a system. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, what that means is that, like you don't have to have every element of your brand on every one asset for it to make sense. You can pull different levers at different times. Sometimes your tone of voice stands on its own. Sometimes you can have different colors come in and play. You can have different assets within the brand and it still feels a part of you. It's kind of how you can sense something's Google or something's Nike or something's Apple before you even see the logo because it's just got this feeling. It's almost like there's a soul that's been constructed. And so we look at that as creating a brand system. And so that would go into um, the creative department to start developing that brand system. And so the people that would take part of that um, beyond myself would be um, writers, art directors, designers, motion designers, people who are thinking in, in more digital UX, all of those places that get different inputs because Again, part of the process is as much as we want to make the system wide and um, multi-applicable, we want to make sure that it doesn't break down anywhere. And so it's important for us to have different creative thinkers at the table that can pressure test it in certain places where you're like, oh, this starts to not to make sense. Um, and the other thing we're doing constantly is um, is is trying to carve out white space. Um, so I think Josh mentioned this, the sea of sameness is a big piece of that. And so part of the process too was looking at what else is out there. And um, we we really try to um, disrupt with, I know that's a huge tech word, but disrupt with how we, uh, how we, how we can approach a brand. I love creating brands that don't feel like their category um, because I think there's no reason it should. And, you know, I think, I think that could be a philosophical difference with a lot of people. Sometimes people are like, it needs to feel tech. And I'm like, 
but does it, you know, I think your product's going to deliver on the tech, you're going to deliver on the tech, the communication is going to, what if we zag here and we feel a bit different because, um, again, you're trying to stick out in that sea of same. So I'm saying a lot of things, if I'm getting yeah. off topic, let me no, know. No, but- no, you're right. <laughs> no, but I, uh, I agree. I think that was literally the point. Um, because, um, you know, uh, living with, uh, you know, a senior art director that also works at, at Mint, um, you know, my wife was involved in this product. I see, I've had um, experiences so much of what happens in your world. And there was so much crossover in that. What if a, um, an advertising technology company had a vibe and a feel like a, a branding house would or or what if um it used none of the elements and none of the colorscape that um my contemporaries do would i still be able to communicate my message would it still break through is that a way is a way to just actually take to have our personality be different because our personality is is different the people we have at clue um look at kind of eye roll sometimes a lot of the um the marketing and the stuff that just gets in your linkedin feed and you're like oh okay more more buzzwords more uh, abbreviations more Mm -hmm. all of this type of stuff that's become synonymous with brands in our space do we have to do all that do do my customers even like it when people talk that way i don't think so because i don't like it so what if we did something entirely different um is that the way we differentiate that those sorts Mm -hmm. of things yeah no and 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 i think you both bring up a really interesting challenge um I know this is uh, for experts like yourself, this might be simplistic, but I think for, for the listeners, it, it might be a good analogy is Matt, um, Apple is a magician style company, right? I don't know how, well, I'm going to date myself. I don't know how my iPod works, but prior to the iPod even being released, everybody was, um, there was a, a player, an MP3 player called a Rio. And they used to tech spec the heck out of that thing. I'm really dating myself right now. <laughs> and Apple came and set a thousand songs in your pocket, the playlist of your life. Um, how do you balance or how did you balance? And you both kind of spoke to it, this notion that uh, Clue has got these technical wizards on the back end. There's lots of tech happening. There's all these crazy big data things, I'm sure. Um, how do you balance that with that message going out to the consumer and, you know, how did you work through that process? And, and again, I think it really beneficial. Josh seems like all in on, on the process, but it's still fascinating to hear how you go from, from that to, to, to what you uh, end up with. Uh, that was the rule. You weren't allowed to, um, you weren't allowed to talk about tech. Like it was tech. Um, talk about what it does, not how it works. If somebody wants to know how it works, we can go into it. But that was actually the thing that our customers said. They were like, Josh, I don't, I don't care. Like, I do care. I love, I love to know awesome, but in the complexity of my day-to-day life, I'm not going to sit down here with you and talk about how AWS interacts with the front end and why you chose X, Y, and Z, and why it reduced processing costs so you can deliver it at a price like, I, I, I don't care. I just want to know 
where can I find my audience on YouTube? What mm -hmm. videos should I be targeting or channels should I be targeting because it meets my audience? That's it. So just tell me what the product does. Um, and so a lot of the system that Kim was talking about in designing was very, very much so with that purpose in mind of talk about what it does, not how it works. Um, and with the goal that the way that we bring this to life now is through content. We have really, really big ambitions for the content. There were other insights that we had from our customers where they do not like company announcements. Like they don't like congratulatory announcements. Um, they kind of like it when you talk about the people that work there and they like it when somebody gets a promotion or you talk about a new hire. But what they wanted most of all was to learn, was to learn um, how to navigate this complex ecosystem. And so the whole system in my mind was to get to a framework for that content so I could deliver that at scale and really have Clue be this approachable authority in the market, be a down-to-earth, humble, but future-thinking, forward-thinking authority in the market on the things that mattered most to my customers so they would come to us as a um, you know, a, a, a safe haven, a partner in crime, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and Kim, how, how did you and the team at Mint facilitate this process with the Clue team, um, in that process? And were there any, were there any common pitfalls? Um, and I just want to throw one thing out that you had mentioned just a little bit earlier that I found really fascinating. You, you mentioned the democratization of brands. I'm going to assume that includes social media. How did the social media aspect and the and you know the the dominance of social media affect the branding process? Sorry if I shoved a lot in there. That's a lot, but here we go. <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. I think what Josh is talking about and, and something that I think a lot about with with our process and is um, people expect frictionless, um, and they they do in how products work, but they also do in how they interact with brands and products. So I I expect that I take my Sonos out of the box, I plug it in and it works, or I turn on Netflix and it works, you know, and it's the same in the sense of when I come into any contact with your brand at all. And if I have to think too much about it, or if you're like, ugh, and he creates any friction with me, there's an aversion to it. So, so for us, it's, really pairing back everything that gets it to that frictionless place where you can just enjoy either a moment with a brand because it's entertaining you or educating you, but it's not making you feel um, weighted down or stupid or anything that's alienated. you know alienated exactly. So um, I think the frictionless is, is sort of the piece. And, and part of that is that I don't care how it works. I just want to like plug it in and it works. You know, that's sort of the mentality that you need to take on. Um, the approach to how you do that, I think, this is okay there's a lot of tension in between the creative world in branding and um, companies with believing you should have everything done in-house um, there's a lot of economics about doing everything in-house that um, i empathize and understand but part of what the beauty of having an outside perspective like an agency to get to these places is they're able to see your complicated world and show you where it's complicated. Again, going back to like when you're in your echo chamber, it's really hard to be like, you know what, you're drowning me in data right now and it's not really cool. Um, and so I think 
what's always in my mind and so beautiful about the client agency relationship is that push and pull and challenge and a good partner should be able to do that it's really hard when it's all in-house because you're just like yes sir yes sir yes sir you know and you're all in the same <laughs> bubble and and so and then work comes out and you're like wait a minute that doesn't make sense to like a regular person that doesn't live and breathe this all the time so part of part of what we were able to do is to bring that outside perspective and push and be like mm, that feels a bit heavy that feels a bit complicated can we can we weed it down a little bit um, so I think I think that's truly a big part of the process is you need to have different perspective at the table in your brand. If you're not working with an agency, fine, but who are you showing it to? Who are you bouncing off? I don't care if it's your mama. Like you have to be able to do it because you need outside perspective to say you're you're too jargon, you're you're too inside baseball, it's too complicated, you've lost me, it's boring. Um, yeah. get rid of in all my, this. So I think that's part in, of that. In my experience, it was Kim's uh, copywriter, Sean, who would be like, okay, and so there are these, I was using like CDP, and then the CDP um, controls your customer data, which then you could push it to a DSP, and the DSP will change then who you're targeting, and he's like, Snoring. Um, yeah. Josh, okay, cool, but what does it do? I'm like, <laughs> um, it just allows you to talk to a specific group of customers in a unique way. And he's like, okay, cool. That's what I'm writing in here then. Totally, totally, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No, that's that's a great piece of advice. And I think one of the most impactful is, as you've both mentioned, the echo chamber and confirmation bias within a team. Um, it, Josh, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective just a little bit on that with the four, uh, four founders all sitting together. Uh, does it tend to happen that you get into a conversation and all of a sudden everybody's on the same page and then you go talk to Kim and the team at Mint and, and have this kind of, oh man, we just, we were in the echo chamber. Was that, was there an aha moment in there for you through this process? Um, well, there were many aha moments, but none of it. So me and, and my and my four founders are a very unique, I think, founding story because we're oftentimes in sync. We're kind of always in sync. And that's mostly because um, we all kind of, in, kind of came in with the concept that there wasn't a lot of overlap between our jobs. We all knew what we were good at, and we've worked very well to kind of get into our bobsled and put our heads down and all toe in the same position and not mess around with each other um, too much. So when we work with partners, we kind of take that same perspective. It's like, you're the expert. What am I supposed to do? Teach me, mm -hmm. teach me, and I'll try to be the best student I can and keep up with you and not slow this whole process down. Because if I wasn't coming to you, like if I, I would, if I knew everything, I wouldn't be coming to you. This whole conversation wouldn't have started. So why, why is that there going to be this illusion that I'm going to act like I'm the expert because I don't want to properly ask for help? I'm asking for help. So help me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And and Kim, when you go through this process and, and we talk a lot, a lot about you know, the customer feedback and, you know, getting that outside uh, perspective on the process, mm -hmm. what are some of the ways uh, that you reach out? Is it existing clients, potential clients? What, what does that process look like? Sorry, can you clarify that a little bit in the sense of getting the outside perspective? Um, yeah. So who would you ultimately, when you went through this process with Clue uh, mm -hmm. and talked about that, that end consumer, was it uh, existing uh, Clue clients? Was oh, it I people see. in the marketplace that were not 
clients? What does that process kind of look like and how do you yeah. approach it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's different for every brand, the, the journey there. Um, there's, there's like I said, there's the key stakeholders within the company. There's These are our best clients or these are our most challenging clients. Like talk to them and, and get that perspective. And then we do our own. So sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll host um, our own focus groups or we'll put out um, survey data or we'll do research through our tools, which is either social listening or, or, or deeper research tools that uh, the, the anal analysts will like pull everything together to find the biggest trends that are coming up. Because what we're trying to look for is not just what your favorite fans are saying, but where are we finding themes throughout all these groups of people, depending on how deeply they're involved in your brand today, which can go from never even heard of you to I use you every single day of my life. So um, I think it, it really depends on on the, the task at hand of how far that research goes. But certainly you don't want to just go to to one well and pull it out um, all your all your inputs from from that one place. Um, I think you got to synthesize multi 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 opinions to go into something. And I haven't forgot your democratization question. If you if you if you if you want me to hit on Absolutely. that, one. please do, yeah. please do. I I kind yeah. of forgot to be honest, but thanks for circling back on that. No, I I think it's an it's a, it's an important one. I think there has been there's a lot of reasons why the democratization of brands have happened, and and I think the biggest the biggest takeaway is um you know as i mentioned earlier in our discussion uh because there's so many more people that are participating with your brand and be, and whether it's on social or biggest fans or you're literally collaborating with people so we have brands who just completely put themselves over to creators to like go crazy and do whatever they want is you have to loosen up on the stiffness of a brand um, and and i think when you design well um, in a system, it, that's exactly what it allows you to do, um, to, like I said earlier, pull those levers up and down. I think where we're seeing brands just being unsuccessful is they're holding it all way too tight. Everything has mm -hmm. a word mark on it. Everything has a logo on it. Everything is like, I don't want to call out some brands, but it's like their branding colors are all over their ads. You're like, we know, we see you, but yeah. it's unimaginative. We get sick of it. Um, it's like watching the same movie over and over and over again. You got to surprise me. And part of that is loosening up the reins a little bit so that um, one, you can have some fun with yourself, but two, you can allow other people to come in and feel like it's a part of their, they own a part of it as well. I think um, this idea of uh, corporate governance of our proprietary, whatever is just mm -hmm. like, sure, fine. But um, the best brands mm -hmm. in the world are being co-written with with their biggest fans. Yeah, that that's an amazing point. And I'll, I'll take it down to kind of the, um, not the lowest comment, but the simplest. Um, I personally think, and I'd love your take on this, uh, TikTok is, is much maligned by certain age demographics, but the impact is pretty astounding to see brands even prior to TikTok, even prior to 12 to 18 months ago, um, you know, there was some, you had Wendy's on Twitter, for example, uh, just as, as something that's from a, a, a social perspective was, was already out there. But you see TikTok, you see brands interacting with individual influencers and creators and, and that kind of, I guess, white space and, and room is, is really what you're referring to is like, hey, you, let's play in, in everybody else's sandboxes as, as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think that's a big sweet spot of our agency in particular. We do a lot of work with uh, creators outside of our walls. And mm -hmm. um, and I've worked in departments, creative departments before, where even we are being very ego about it and not letting anyone come into the process. But what I love about our approach at Mint is we're very 
uh, collaborative. So sometimes it's we're bringing creators to the table. Um, we did this massive campaign with YouTube at the, the beginning of the year. And a lot of that was giving the reins of the campaign to some of the best creators in the country because they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, they have a lot of fans. They know what they're up to. And so I think I think having having that spirit of just like, okay, get in here, let's work on it, let's figure it out, um, let's do something cool, I think is what the best brands are doing. And of course, TikTok has been a part of that, but not just for brands. I mean, TikTok's defining entertainment. Some of the best, biggest artists in the world right now have come off TikTok. So TikTok, mm -hmm. not TikTok, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but uh, but I think, I think, again, it goes down to the same spirit is you gotta you gotta have a bit looser holds on the reins in order to have a stronger brand and i think the belief of the opposite is what's depleting a lot of brands and who ends up coming to us eventually to shake off some dust for a rebrand i that's, think yeah. i think that's mostly because um people forget at the end of the day the best thing for your brand is create really good content that the best advertising, the best marketing for your brand will be good content. So knowing, um, you know, your brand, this branding exercise is really about finding your vibe, finding your compass, finding that thing. And, and just like a human, there's flexing, you wear different fashion every year, you kind of can change with the trends, but there's a vibe that's the, the anchor in between all of it. And knowing what your audience thinks is good content. Or like, and not the hard, fast rules of it, but the, a lot of it is like a, understand, getting a sensibility for what is good content or what is useful or entertaining or shocking. Um, that is that is the kind of thing. Like that's the reason why I'm, I'm excited about the rebrand and what I hope to produce from it. And what I think the whole point of this is, is to give us that jumping off point of, okay, now we need to have a voice. Um, what is it going to say? And what it mm -hmm. says is ultimately that content. And if you want a voice, naturally, you need to be a part of conversations and what they are and how all of it then should flex and move. And yeah, I think, I think a really powerful um, kind of nugget uh, of philosophy has come out of this, and you've both alluded to it, which I think is incredibly important is this notion that, you know, 25 years ago, brands were very, uh, and Kim, you mentioned this, it's like, here's your brand guide, your trademark, this is what we say. And the evolution of that is giving the flexibility for that brand to evolve and adapt depending on the context and the audience and they, hey, you've got room here to, to tell a story, to create that content. Um, and, and that's part of that brand strategy. At least that's what, it, what I'm getting out of this. Um, would that be a fair statement to make? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think back then, um, you just think about that. So if you want to talk about technology, you want to talk about advertising technology, a lot of it is like media delivery technology and then advertising just kind of finds its way in there to, to fund it all. Um, but it's because there is there are so many vehicles of delivery that brands also themselves have so many opportunities. Uh, whether you are an advertising technology company that is supposed to deliver other people's content, you still have the ability to create content yourself um, and to be involved in these conversations and interject and to find these conversations well because hashtags and um, 
you know, all the different categorization that naturally happens. So just what do you want to be a part of? What is your personality? How are you, what are you going to dress like when you enter this party? All of that type of stuff. Um, but I mm -hmm. think what Kim was talking about, which they really taught us in this process is um, nobody likes a stiff to come to the party, right? Um, there has to be a give and go. You mm -hmm. have to think about your, your company as a person almost, right? And that's why it needs personality. That's why. And also, if you're going to be the first one to show up to a party, you should have a, a, what we hope to infuse was a sense of humility because we are kind of new kids to the, to the market. Um, and right. so we hoped to everybody can see in what we said the things we wanted to be defined by. Very cool. Um, Kim, I'll throw this one over to you. We're, we're, we're shortly uh, going to have to wrap up here. Can you touch on measuring brand effectiveness and, and those outputs once that, you know, again, congratulations, you've both, you've launched this, this rebrand as of today, moving forward, what are some of the ways that you look at the success metrics and, and what does that look like? Sure. Um, again, not my wheelhouse, but I will do my best here. I think I think it all comes down to the uh, challenge that the brand is having. So if if it is set out that the brand is uh, got a perception problem or uh, a lack of clarity in the marketplace, then then you have to measure against those those pieces. If it's essentially we're going down and we got to get our sales up, and and so that that's a pretty clear definer than it's did the sales go up. So it, it, it is really working with the client to really truly understand um, what is the challenge and then what are the measures of success against that challenge. Um, and then uh, beyond beyond that, it's it's how are we um, how are we how are we watching that after the brand is released? So Josh has um, released the brand today. And I think part of what he's going to be looking at is clarity of his product, clarity of the brand positioning. If he's starting to see um, new customers come in, really understand who they are. If he's if he's not having to explain himself over and over again, and there's mm -hmm. a, a, a that, but then also that. Uh, he's probably wanting to see a bit of turning heads that these guys feel different. They look different. They're not the other guys and, and get that distinction in the marketplace. We talk a lot about distinction over differentiation. Um, mm -hmm. I know we've talked about Apple, but I mean, they had a smartphone, Google had a smartphone, Samsung had a smartphone, but Apple had like the, the hits, right? And differentiate, they all offered the same thing, but it was a distinction with the brand. It met, felt something different than the rest of them. So mm -hmm. so with this, I think that's part of what Josh is going to be looking at too, is is he is he getting that um, traction with the distinction and being seen as, you know, I want to go to these these other guys who have those tenets of down to earth, but forward thinking and confident and roll up their sleeves and, and that kind of vibe to them um, versus the colder tech, less human feel. For sure. Yeah. And Josh, do you have anything to add to that from your perspective, from the Clue perspective? Yeah, um, I could state it from the founder leader perspective. Um, mm. This isn't a switch, right? I'm not all of a sudden looking for metrics to just completely change. Um, this is an anchor or like a compass or like a direction. I want to see that my staff knows how to talk about us that my staff has crystal clarity as to who we are and why we're different. I want to see my content. I want to see content being built. That's really, really, really good. Um, and I want to just focus on that. I want to focus on the things that I can control and let this rebrand change our approach or refine our approach or guide our approach or just bring everything with some glue together. 
Um, Cause I know at the other end of that is the, is the results I want the results of more customers. Um, they know exactly what we do. They say that we're different. Um, but that comes after a lot of hard work. So that's what I'm looking can forward I, to. Can I just add to, um, I think a big part of it that people underestimate is a uh, pride of where you work and feeling mm -hmm. like you're really proud of the brand that you you're you're servicing. Um, it feels really good to me when I see a founder showing up to an interview like this, wearing the mark on his on his hat, because to me that's he's got the pride for for that. Um, and I think I think that's a big piece of it, especially when you're talking about an organization um, and and customers too. They want to feel proud of who they work with too. So I think that that's again another human emotion that's really important to a successful rebrand. Mm -hmm. That's that's great. And thank you so much both for joining us today. Uh, there's a lot to kind of ingest and, and process out of this conversation. I'd like to throw it over to Kim, you first to, to tell everybody, just give everybody a quick overview again, um, your team at Mint, um, what you do and, and how you do it. And, and then over to Josh as well, just for a bit more on Clue. Sure. We're a creative agency working with brands of all levels, um, from startups to um, multinational companies, um, to partner with them to solve business challenges that they're having through creativity. So we do it at all different life stages or moments of the life stages of the brand. And um, I think that where where we really get get going is any anytime a brand wants to have a role within culture wants to reach a new audience wants to have some sort of transformation um we we have that as our sweet spot awesome uh yeah and i'm josh from clue so we help marketers interpret and transform their data into growth um what we try to do is right size this crazy complex advertising technology world to your need because we know that there is boundless potential for your business online. Awesome. All right. Well, once again, Kim, Josh, thanks so much for joining us on Live at the Hive. We really appreciate your time. Um, and if any of the listeners out there have any questions, feel free to drop a, a comment on any one of the platforms you might be uh, listening to us on. If we can't answer it directly, we will bother Kim and Josh to get the answer for you uh, without hopefully bothering them too much. Uh, thanks a lot to both of you. We really appreciate your time here. And um, thanks to everybody for listening. That does it for another episode of Live at the Hive Digital Marketing from the Trenches. We will see you next week. Same B time, same B channel. Take care. Thanks, guys. <laughs>